It's good to be up here, and I need to confess a couple of things. Um, my whole dining room table has just got papers all over it, books everywhere. Matter of fact, our whole house does, because I used to have an office where I could do all that stuff, but I don't have it anymore. And um, I had a friend of mine get me a computer with a biblical program on it, which is awesome some years ago, but I never really mastered that kind of thing. So all my notes, all my research, everything is written, okay? So I have file folders of stuff, and it's everywhere. I say that because um, I've had a hard time putting it all together. But we are in Isaiah, and Isaiah is, well, Isaiah, you can't say someone's the most important prophet, but Isaiah is quoted more than all the other prophets put together. So that gives you an idea of the kind of influence his ministry, his prophetic ministry had. And he comes, uh, the page is a blur, I think it's time to do this. He rises to his prophetic office in the year that King Uzziah died. We've, we've heard that. Um, and Uzziah had had a lot of success. Israel had done very well under Uzziah's reign. Um, he compromised in a number of ways and got very comfortable in a number of ways. But um, the book of Isaiah is all about, it starts in chapter 1 with how Jerusalem is fallen. God's people are not the way God's people are supposed to be. And Jerusalem's a mess. At the end of Isaiah, Jerusalem's restored. And God's people are right with God and he's right with them. That is the book of Isaiah in short. Chapter 9 is one of these places where we're hearing a prophecy. So this is around 740, 730 B.C., a century before Christ. And I'm going to pick up in Isaiah the end of chapter 8 because he's... Uh, well, I'll just pick up on 19, 8, 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not seek according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and they will turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now he's talking about this area of Israel. Israel now is a divided kingdom. So you have the southern two tribes, basically Judah and Benjamin, and the rest of them up north, the other ten tribes up there. Zebulun and Naphtali, who he's going to talk about, and they are in a... Yeah, I wish I had the technology to put a map up there. My friend Randy was going to help me, but I didn't follow up, so it's my fault entirely. <laughs> um, but it's, if you can picture it all Israel, it's up by the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, however you want to put it. It is on the uh, west side, and so it's near the Mediterranean. And that area was traveled through all the time. It was a big trade route. 
So people coming from Europe, from Asia, going down to Africa and so on and so forth. In other words, you lived in a place that had a lot of commerce, was significant, important to the country and so on. And yet what we're going to find out is these are the first two tribes, the first part of Israel that falls. They're going to fall to the Assyrians. And we hear about Syria in the news today, so some things never change. But here they are, and this is what he's talking about. Chapter 9. I have but in my Bible, an adversative. It's actually nevertheless, or doesn't matter. Even so, even though all these things have happened, there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Uh, tenses are hard to understand here. He's talking about then. At the time he's saying this, this is what's happening. They're going to be brought under submission to Assyria. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian, which was a pretty resounding victory for the Israelites. Um, so he's already bringing them to Jesus' day. This goes forward, but if we were to go back to when this is all happening, well, they're, they're going to be oppressed. It's going to be a long time. But he's talking about what's going to happen. When Jesus comes, these things are going to change. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. We heard about that last week, Emmanuel. God with us. For with us a child is born. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Well, not only is he born, but he's given in one sense. God gives his own son to us. And so he empties himself of all of his glory, all of his prerogatives in heaven, and Jesus is going to come to earth. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, just like the cross that he carries to the place where he's crucified. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those four terms kind of summarize what Jesus is going to be in this time and in this ministry. Um, some of you may have it divided up more, but wonderful counselor goes together. Wonder of a counselor. As a matter of fact, so awesomely wise and incredible, he's, he's God. The wonder of a counselor. Mighty God. God who can conquer everything. In Judges 13, 18, an angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? 
This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Mighty God, Isaiah 10, 20. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In truth, a remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. That's the point. Jesus is having attributed to him God's very character, God's very being. Everlasting Father has no exact parallel. It's actually a father of the future. For those of you who don't like patriarchy, apparently we're kind of stuck with it for a while. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, there's no exact parallel to everlasting father but it's paradoxical in naming a child yet to be born everlasting father and yet that's who he is to us father signifies the paternal benevolence of a perfect ruler over a people whom he loves as his children um i i I know i'm kind of stumbling through this whole thing so forgive me but in preparation for it i want to thank our pastor brother mccoy because I've done more reading, more scriptural reading, more studying of the Bible in the last few weeks. Um, not that it's showing up this morning, but it, it's who I am. It's what I have. It's all I am. Um, yeah. In any event, this idea of a father who loves us and cares for us, for some of us is very different than the way we grew up, than the actual rearing that we had, the the actual relationships we had. And Isaiah is telling his people, this is what God is like. Why do you go off your own way and rebel and cut deals and cut corners and do things that you ought not to do that only gets you in trouble because God cannot bless disobedience. He wants to bless us. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to walk with him. But we have to want it too. Now, I had a discussion with someone in our church about election. This particular person believes, as many people do, that election is of specific individuals. God elects some and just didn't others. To me, who's elect is Jesus. Jesus is the elect one, and when we're in Christ, we're part of that group. So God has elected the way in which he saves us. When, when Paul says in Romans, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, he's talking about Jacob as Israel, Esau as the Edomites. What I'm saying is we're all part of God's people. He doesn't just pick and choose some of us. He loves us whether we ever cleave to him or not. He desires for us to know him and love him and call out to him and trust in him. And I'll promise you (laughs) there's times when life will not go well. It just won't. And at the end of the, well, shouldn't use that phrase at the end of the day, but God is who we have. He's the one. 
God gave me my bride. I'm just going to say this morning, I happen to be married to the best woman in the world. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't be standing here today if it weren't for her. So here we come to the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Peace isn't just a cessation of hostilities. Peace is the way God designed the world to be. It's fullness and blessing. Peace is having no lack of anything. It is walking in contentment and joy and harmony, not discord and want and suffering and so on. Peace is all that is good and right and great, which is why God created us. He created us to care for his creation. We're the stewards, and he wants us to do it with a full life of the increase of his government and of peace, the prince of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Now, David is an extraordinary man, obviously, He was a man after God's own heart. And under his rule, Israel was as powerful and lived in as much peace as they ever would, probably. And so David's kingdom was a great one, but David himself was a fallen man. We know if you've read the Bible. He was engaged in adultery. He plotted to have a guy killed and so on. So he's involved in those things, and yet somehow... God can use him. And what I'm saying is God, not like David, but God can use us all in the broken condition we may find ourselves in any particular time. He brings hope to the hopeless. The northern tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali represented all that was degraded and contemptible, remote and marginal. I went this last uh, week to Comerica, I guess it's an arena. Um, It's a place where speakers come. It's the Arizona speakers thing. I was invited to go with someone. And the man who spoke was a man named Robert Ballard, extremely bright individual, had 16 honorary degrees. He had a degree in physics, oceanography, geology, on and on and on. Um, This guy is best known for finding the Titanic. And he, he's just a person who understands how things operate. He's an underwater explorer. So when he found the Titanic, it was actually he was looking for a submarine that had sunk that was a nuclear sub and had a nuclear, which he found. Apparently it's been declassified now because he could tell us that. All of that to say, as bright and wonderful as this guy was and as enthusiastic as he was, He looks at the earth as this living organism that is almost self-conscious, sentient. I think he called it Gaia. If you've ever heard of that, Gaia is the idea that the earth itself is like our mother. And if we don't treat the earth right, then we're going to get booted off. There's going to be problems and so on. And I was sitting there listening to this man, extremely bright and so on, and yet so lost and I think about uh, I guess Newsweek this or 
one of the magazines, uh, Greta Thunberg. Now, I know a Greta that I happen to love very much, but Greta, the little Swedish gal, who's only like 15, she's the person of the year for Time Magazine or whatever, and I listened to a, like a two-and-a-half-minute clip where she went and addressed these people in New York who were on the climate, whatever, international climate thing, and you might want to go look at it. It's a very impassioned speech, but in it, she had no hope at all. Well, I shouldn't say she had no hope, but she had very little hope. She had this apocalyptic view of our world, that in a very short time, our world is going to collapse, that we're going to die, that things are going to, um, that life as we know it, this existence as we know it, is no longer going to be sustainable because we're, we're, we use too much carbon or what, however else you want to put it. In any event, toward the end of her speech, she basically said, we won't forgive you. We will not forgive you. And I thought, how can this young lady have so much animus in her heart that, you know, I guess she'd be talking to me. I, you know, I suppose I use my share of carbon. I want to take her by the hand to some places I've been to in Africa and some places in Asia where people live without indoor plumbing, without electricity, without any of those things. And this girl who could, you know, come over here on like a million-dollar sailboat or something like that, um, she, the world is made up of broken people. It's a broken world, isn't it? And God is going to redeem it all. He's going to perfect it all. He's going to make it so that every day is better than the last one. And this is Isaiah talking about that day when it comes, when Jesus, in Matthew 4, John the Baptist is a forerunner to Jesus. I'll develop this a little bit more in just a second. But in Matthew 4, um, verse 12 Jesus has just gone through his temptations in the wilderness and so he's just recovered now when he heard that John had been arrested he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth he went and lived at Capernaum by the sea it's kind of where he had his headquarters in one sense in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so there's the light that's going to dawn on these places. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles or of the nations, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So by the time Jesus gets there, they're, they're no longer an important people. It's sparsely populated. Things are difficult. And Jesus shows up, and this is what we're hearing. And those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on, shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And the first thing he begins to preach in Matthew 5 is a Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. You know what the kingdom of God starts with? Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, blessed are the poor in spirit because they know what it is to be broken. They know what it is to need God. They know what it is to need salvation. They long for a better day. Even our best days, we long for a little more, don't we? We do. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, <laughs> blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They mourn their brokenness. They mourn the brokenness in the world. I mean, I feel sorry for someone like Greta Thunberg. She has grown up hearing this. That's what's been inculcated in her life is all that's wrong with the world, especially climate-wise. We hear a lot of talk in our country today about social justice. I'm just going to say one word on that because he's going to bring a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Social justice sounds good, but it's an impossible thing to establish. You would have to establish right relationships between everybody in all stratas of society and so on. How, how's that possible? It can't happen. I'm, I mean, I know we strive to be just and fair. What I'm saying is when the kingdom comes, you're going to have social justice. When the kingdom comes, the first will be last and the last will be first. I don't mind being last. I'll just be happy to be in the kingdom. I'm serious. I really am. As a matter of fact, I realized as I was going over this, if I somehow detracted from it, then I wouldn't want to be there because I believe it's going to be better than any of us could ever imagine. And I heard, were you talking about making amends or something? Okay, so it's not that I don't like you. I left for a while. <laughs> Rick's not used to hearing he's not liked. <laughs> I love my brother. Only, <laughs> anyway, my own opinion is you could spend a long time in heaven just making amends to people. I look forward to it. I cannot tell you how much I look forward to going to people that I know I've done things to that hurt them. I mean, all the way from being a kid to today and telling them I genuinely am sorry for anything I did that wounded them or detracted from how they felt or you know I, I just look forward to that I look forward to embracing people that didn't like me I know I'm a likable guy but <laughs> there are some people that haven't liked me believe me <laughs> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. You know what righteousness is? It's things being right according to the way that God designed them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, my heart's not all that pure, but I can guarantee you, I long to see the Lord. I really do. Blessed are the peace.
peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I would like to be a peacemaker. I look forward to it. This is the kingdom. This is what he's come to establish. This is what he wants to do. At the heart of it, yes, substitutionary atonement, the cross. Yes, but it's not like just we get forgiven and okay, we're good to go. No. No, we get forgiven and we can be honest with everything that's wrong with us. And we can confess it to one another without fear of condemnation because we're all there by God's grace. (laughs) And the people who are in charge are the humblest, most gentle, meekest, kindest, peace-seeking people imaginable. That's who's going to be first in the kingdom. Huh? It's a pretty good deal. You're all sitting there very stoic this morning. (laughs) I know I'm not exactly um, charismatic or winsome or anything like that, but you're hearing me. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I'm doing fine. All right. Um, There's so much stuff on that dining room table you wouldn't wouldn't believe it. (laughs) Come help my wife, Clay. No, I got to put it away. I marked this. Oh. I marked this passage and I can't figure out what it is I want. I do know what I want. Chapter 11 of Matthew. Matthew, by the way, um, well, I won't go into Matthew. Chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Tyre and Sidon are Syrophoenician places. Um, He's talking about his own people, okay? His own people didn't do as much as people who weren't God's people, so to speak. The chosen weren't as receptive to God as the unchosen. Let's put it that way. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Think about that. Pretty scary. Look, um, God knows what we would have done in different circumstances. That's what it's saying. God has this knowledge that he knows what we do in different circumstances. So not only can I look at things in my life and go, God was so good to me there, 
I can, by the way, I had my 70th birthday just the other day. So a day that will live in infamy for those of you who are history buffs. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. He knows the future. Thank you, brother. He knows the future, and he, he not only leads us to certain relationships that help us become the people he has saved us to be, but he also protects us from certain things. And we'll never know this side of heaven all those things. But that's our God. And this is our Jesus. I've got all kinds of stuff. I'm going to finish with two things. Um, Jesus, still in Matthew 11. Jesus is talking to these people right up at the top. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Wow. John the Baptist, the guy who points most directly to Jesus, is concerned that maybe he's not the one because John is incarcerated and he's not long for this world and he's wondering where is this kingdom Where is God's rule and reign? If there's going to be righteousness and justice someday, where is it? Aren't you supposed to establish this, Lord? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now what Jesus has just quoted from is Isaiah 60, 61. The Spirit of the Lord, you don't need to turn it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Anointed means Messiah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is that year, 49, 50th year, the year of Jubilee, when everything is forgiven, every debt, you are entirely restored, entirely restored. This is why Jesus came. And the day of vengeance of our God is the last part of that verse. But when Jesus quotes it here, he doesn't talk about vengeance because he didn't come the first time for vengeance or judgment. He came to save the world. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness and see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
Do you know why he says there's no one greater than John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist could point most directly to him and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist, who isn't quite sure, he's saying John the Baptist is as great as anyone who's ever lived. Abraham, Moses, David, all the rest of them, John the Baptist is at least as great as them, if not greater, because he can point directly to who Jesus is. Now imagine saying about someone, that's the greatest person that ever lived because they really appreciate who I am. Crazy, isn't it? That's our Jesus. That's the Lord. That's why he can say this. He doesn't come down just in theory or something like that. He, he pays the price. God is not aloof in heaven, away from human pain and suffering and misery and all the rest of it, all the brokenness, etc. He's not removed from that. He came into this world to take it all upon himself. He took our complete and full humanity, and yet somehow he's God at the same time. And so that's when he denounces the city. I'm going to close with Revelation. Revelation 21, 22. Right at the end of your Bible. And I saw no temple in the city. Okay. The whole time, God's promise is, you will be my people, I will be your God. You will be my people, I will be your God. It's a corporate thing. And so finally, we're gathered in God's presence, and we read, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. That's a pretty good start to an ending, isn't it? It is. It really is. Um... I'm sorry about this kind of broken way of doing it. I want to tell you all that I, I love this church. And it was my greatest, truly, privilege in life to have pastored here the years I got to pastor here. And I stepped down at the right time. Maybe one day I'll tell you a couple more stories about my wild retirement. Um, but I love this church. And if we could just remember all of us this really is about Jesus and us and that we need to be kind and gracious and tender hearted and forgiving and encouraging and all those things that you can cultivate and work on we can do that not all the time I have my moments <laughs> but we can do it and more than anything, that's the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of Christmas. 
that we would love people and encourage them. And I'm going to take one more prerogative. Is that you sitting out there, Loida? It is. When I was going through all those notes, on one of them I had written, uh, when we were in Africa, you were teaching those kids how to throw a ball and that you were the best athlete in our whole group. (laughs) She was awesome. (laughs) I just came across that. So uh, I know I'm taking a few liberties up here. God is good, and he loves you, and I believe he loves me too. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the privilege of being part of the people of God. And I believe we all look forward to that day when all alienation, all shame, all sorrow, all pain, all confusion, all anguish, all brokenness is gone. And there's nothing but whole and perfect and right and good and beautiful ways of God and that we would be gathered together in your presence forevermore through Christ our Lord. Amen.